0: Back to rubrics, a Saint Timothy's podcast. We are uh, trying a couple different uh, video settings the last few weeks. The last week we were on Zoom because you were home. This week we're trying two cameras instead of just one stationary. Um, if you watch this on YouTube, you you know what I'm talking about. If you just listen to it, don't worry about it. But if you do watch it, let let us know which of these you prefer. Um, do you like kind of the both of us, the two camera setup? Do you prefer the one setup? Um, and if you have extra money laying around, uh, throw a bunch of money at us, and then we can have as many cameras as we want. Um, but let us know in the comments kind of which setting you prefer. We'll try this one today. As we kind of banter, we are in the same room, but we're, we're trying two cameras to so freshen it up a bit, make it a little bit more engaging, and we'll be uh, trying to figure out where to look with, with the different cameras we have.
1: Yeah, we're trying to find something that's engaging that you will enjoy listening to or watching yeah. um, and something really that's natural that's right. what we're going for is that how can you and I have a conversation that reflects what might be on people's minds mm-hmm. that might be again might be engaging and um, you spend you, you're the producer for this podcast you okay. spend you spend more time thinking about it but that being said we don't we don't have a whole lot of time no, that's right. to yeah. tinker with it so that's why a lot of these things happen on the fly
0: yeah I mean we were joking that we're realizing why all those famous podcasts have producers that kind of yep. do this while the show is going on. Correct. We're trying to look at our Bible and notes and also the computer and also yep. naturally talk to each other. But you know what? We're here. Um, we're excited to talk about uh, a couple different topics this week, um, the center of which being the Good Samaritan, the parable. And we'll talk about how we've been encountering that each and every day. Um, but before we, we dive in, any, uh, any quick banter? How's your week going? Well, it's fine.
1: It's um, uh, Labor Day. Always throws it off when, yeah. there's, when there's a day off. Um, it feels you know, like Tuesday. When well, it's I mean, the thing about church life is the the amount of work is still the same. Mm-hmm. Sunday's coming. Yeah. It's just coming at at a faster pace now. So I did a little bit of work on on Monday morning to be per, to be prepared, and, and we got a fairly busy week this week, which we'll talk about in a little bit with the um, Requiem mm-hmm. tomorrow night, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. Um, first week of school is is uh, in the in the books, and all that sort of upheaval is now over and yeah. settling down. So it's nice actually to have a bit of <clears throat> normalcy in the house mm-hmm. and something you'll discover soon. Having a standard bedtime yeah. that you can enforce,
0: whereas yeah. in the summertime, it's a bit, it's more of a it's harder to <clears throat> enforce. So it's a free for all. So yeah, it's been good. Good, good. Yeah, I was I was asking the kids last week at youth group. um... And you know, how's the first week going? And it was such a wide range of answers yeah. from, yeah, easy, love it. Especially the, you know, we have a big group of boys who are now in high school and some of them, you know, were talking about how much they loved it and others were saying how much it sucked and they were miserable and, you know, tried to encourage them, give it a few weeks, you know, you'll, you'll figure out your routine. Um, but it was funny to hear a, a wide, wide range of, of answers on that subject. Let's dive in for our collect of the day and we'll talk about this in a second. The collect that we've been praying um, for the past few days is actually the collect from Sunday because we have a bunch of non-feast days of ferias this week. And so this is our collect from, from Sunday. Let us pray. Lord of all power and might, who art the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of thy name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and bring forth in us the fruit of good works through Jesus Christ our lord who liveth and reigneth with thee in the holy spirit one god forever and ever amen it's so one of my favorite colleagues, uh, especially the phrase increase in us true religion so it's kind of been a joy to pray you know over and over and over this week um, the idea that you know we we want the to religion's do good not bad exactly we want to yeah. do good works and in you know through jesus christ we want to be Increased in our piety, in our religion um, that is grounded in you know his death and resurrection. So speaking of, um, we were talking before, you know, we, we started recording. We've had a lot of ferias this week. Yeah. Um, why don't you explain a little bit for people, especially who don't come to daily mass, what what all does that entail?
1: Well, let me explain two two really kind of minutiae and uh, I hope not, but maybe boring mm-hmm. details. Is that how we do it at Saint Timothy's? Is like the colic you read is the collect that we've been praying at morning and evening prayer, That's but, true. but yep. not at Mass. Yeah, correct. So, uh, gosh, that's confusing. So why do we do that? So the um, in the 1979 Book of Common Prayer, if there's not a feast day, um, you do Sundays, what we call propers, mm-hmm. the, the, the changeable parts, yep. the things that are proper for that day. Um, ideally, for most people, that would be the readings yep. and, and the collect of the day. You do Sunday um, during mm-hmm. the week. You just, you just repeat it. What our practice has been here since uh, COVID. we had a, a slightly different practice before COVID, yeah. Um, but we've been using the traditional American missile for weekday celebrations. We, and so all right, so there's a couple of things to say about that. And and stay with me. the 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 reason why we do it is because uh, there 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 are two easy things. And the reason why we did it during COVID is everything that one needs is in the book one that's book. on yeah. the altar. Yeah. And so during COVID, that enabled social distancing mm-hmm. because the priest could do everything at the altar without having to turn to the people. And um, and and use multiple books. Yeah. Even and to a Correct. Or, or even like. the readings according to the rubrics when the priest is saying a low mass is set at the altar. Mm-hmm. So you could even more kind of lean into that social distancing. Right. Blah 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 blah. The other the benefit of the American missal is that in addition to the the collect and the readings, it has minor propers. Yeah. These are the um, the the prayers that the priest says, mm-hmm. the... The um the the secret, communion. Yeah, the, the communion verse, the secret prayer, mm-hmm. the post-communion, all those things that are not contained in the 1979 prayer right. book, which add another layer of theological depth and devotion, yeah. really, to the celebration of,
0: of, of so the Mass. So that you are not literally hearing the exact same words five days in a row. You at least get some extra devotions, things that might change a little bit. Um, and when it's, you know... A quick mass anyway on the weekday, it at least gives you an opportunity yeah. to have some more opportunities for devotion. So the American Missal is more conducive yeah. to smaller celebrations right.
1: that can be done without feeling awkward. Mm-hmm. Some celebrations are difficult to do with four people there. It, it almost works better if you have... 400 people there and one of the beauty of the traditional celebration is whether there are 4,000 people behind you or four people behind you It doesn't really change and if you're one of the four because of the way it's set up and how it's celebrated, it doesn't feel awkward You don't feel awkward. No one feels awkward. And so all of that was perfect in COVID, and there was a lot of devotional fruit that came from that. So we've just continued it Mm -hmm. for for ease, for consistency, and for the response of the people. I mean, our daily mass attendance is higher post-COVID than it was in COVID. So that's point number one. Point number two is because it's the older missile, um, meaning it's coming from the the um, 1928 prayer book uh, tradition mm-hmm. it uses a different lectionary right, yeah, yeah. and so not only different lectionary but even the um like um the looks a little different well, it
0: counts after trinity yes, instead of after so Pentecost. We're, we're in
1: ordinary time ordinary yeah. time doesn't mean that it is boring yeah. or out of you know it's it's not exciting it's coming from the word meaning ordinal or yeah. numbering yeah so And this week, we're in the 14th Sunday, or 14th week after Pentecost, Mm -hmm. but in the 28 prayer book, in the older prayer books, they count after Trinity, which is just one Sunday after Pentecost, Mm -hmm. so now we're in the 13th week after Trinity. So that's a lot of complicated things to simply say that we kind of pray with two different cycles during the week, morning and evening prayers, according to the 1979, and and those propers, but the, the daily Mass, is um, according to the old missile. What's good about that is that, I mean, one, it helps us to discover um, our old older prayer book tradition, right. which has a lot of wonderful spiritual fruit that it provides. But if you come, like a feria, to answer your question you asked an hour and a half ago, a feria is a, is a non-feast. Right, It's a day where there's no feast. So where uh, normally we would hear the gospel from from this past Sunday every day, if we don't have a vote of mass, which is another, another rabbit trail I won't follow, we do Sunday's Gospel and the and Epistle, but during the week we do a different lectionary, yeah. so we have a little bit of variety. Yeah. So, so
0: if you come on Sunday, and then you come on Monday, at, at least you're not hearing the, correct. now if you come Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday,
1: you'll hear the same Gospel. Now, so it happens this week, so we're, today we're gonna look at, like what has this week's, of, um, this week's rhythm of prayer, what does it inform us, what does right. it teach us, how does it um, um, engage our, our faith? So, Monday, Tuesday, I mean, so, you know, unless you did Labor Day, um, according to the 79, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, and uh, Thursday are all Mm farias. They're all normal non-feast days. And so, we've done the gospel for the 13th Sunday after Trinity four days in a row, Mm -hmm. which is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And um, when you, for us, because we do a homily at Mm -hmm. every Mass, the challenge is We've got to find something different to say because we do have about two people who come every day Mm -hmm. and God bless them. And,
0: and but they don't want to hear the same. They don't want to hear the same thing. It'd
1: be easier for us if we just find one good point and then know we have a different congregation each week. I mean, that's how bishops preach. Yeah. I mean, they, yep. they have their one thing, and I don't I don't I don't blame them. You know, right. if I were ever a bishop, I probably would do the same yep. thing. They fifteen just, different churches preach the same yeah, sermon. It's new to them. Fifteen different sermons. Yeah, absolutely, it's new to them, but not new for our congregation. So we have to find that text and find some different angle or go deeper in some way uh, of what's going on, which is good for the preacher and it's good for the hearer, but we've spent a lot of time and will continue to spend some time with uh, Luke 10 mm-hmm. and the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is one of those parables, as I said in my homily yesterday, that we all know, and maybe we know too well, yep. that, that when like, – it's like when you start reading it, oh, I know how this is going to go. And you just kind of gloss over it yep. and skip. I do that. I'm sure know what you this do that. T- yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yes. You know, we we know the story. We know how it ends. And let's 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 move on to the next thing. And when we find ourselves doing that, we really have to pull back and say, even more so. Let me slow down. Yeah. Let me read. Maybe if you're reading it on your own, read a different translation. Yep. You know, force it um, to have a different engagement um, with the text.
0: Yeah. So uh, all that being said. It's been the parable of the Good Samaritan for a few days in a row now. Um, you preached yesterday, I preach today. I'm preaching at noon. And you'll preach it at noon, yep. and then I will preach again tomorrow on the, on the same passage, um, and then Friday we'll, we'll, we'll have a feast day and we'll get to that. But let's talk for a second about the parable of the Good Samaritan. It comes from Luke 10, um, <clears throat> and we, we, you know, I'm not going to spend uh, 30 seconds rereading the story because, again, most of us have probably heard it. If you haven't... Go pick up a Bible, turn to Luke 10, beginning with verse 25, and you have this introductory conversation between Jesus and a lawyer. The lawyer wants to justify himself, is how Luke phrases it, after Jesus gives kind of the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And then that's when um, Jesus goes into this parable, after the lawyer asks, and who is my neighbor? So, at face value, um, let's just start with, How did you hear this parable interpreted growing up? Was it the same as as me? Um, I'm I'm assuming it probably was similar. And it's not necessarily a wrong interpretation, but we'll kind of get to what it misses. And how I heard it growing up was kind of this, um, you know, moralistic fable. Who's my neighbor? It's the person who you least expect. You need to be kind to them. You need to treat everyone equally. Um, it's just another nice story of the golden rule. Treat treat others how you want to be treated. Was that how you heard it? Yeah, and and you know, I don't know if this ever happened. Maybe it did, but it's a great
1: story. But uh, when I was in seminary, you, you may have heard something similar of this sort of test that that some. Um, a fictional seminary professor gave to his students that that they had to, that their assignment for the day was to prepare a homily on the Good Samaritan Mm -hmm. and they had to come in and they had different days to do it. And uh, the professor planted someone on the street, you know, who was either injured or something, you know, in their way yeah. to see what they would do, and uh, I think the story went is that I think all of them yeah. were in a hurry because right. they were running late, or, or I don't remember if he if he. Uh, gave I them. have heard this. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. so they basically stepped over him right. to go, and they missed the whole point. So the point was, is that we have we, we don't pay attention. Right. We're, we like to beat up on the priest and the Levite, mm-hmm. but we're all kind of. You know the same. I remember, remember having um, lunch with a bishop one time, and we were walking to the to the restaurant, Mm -hmm. and it was in a it was in a state capital, big city, lots of people downtown, lots of mental illness, people experiencing homelessness. What, what you see in any major city and um, there was one man who was just really just shouting at everybody and saying all kinds of things and the bishop looked at me and said let's make like the priest and levite and go on go <laughs> go on the other side here um, and so we, but we that's typically what we do Correct. right and so the, we assume the parable is don't be like the priest and levite yep. be like the outsider the one who was least expected take care of people, you know.
0: Yeah, and I even heard it used to justify almost an anti-religious bias of, you know, religion is bad, religion is caught up in its own rules and passes by, and it's the spiritual but not religious person. Have the
1: relationship, not the religion, right, right. which is, I'm sure you probably heard a lot Exactly,
0: exactly. So all of that being said, you you know set the stage for the rest of the week yesterday you know helpfully so that i didn't have to rehash it for the people who had been there um but kind of summarize it for maybe the, the new people that that is not how this parable was interpreted by the church for for most of its beginning years at least not exclusively yeah, yeah and and again the the moralistic you know command treat everyone that is not bad it's not right. wrong even um, but when it comes to parables, there is usually a, a deeper or more um, spiritual point to be made, and it usually we need to see Christ in the parables. There is almost always Christ in the parable. We and should not this be one, the hero in the parable. Exactly. Yep. And in this one, that interpretation does not have Christ anywhere. Um, it is us and a stranger and treat them kindly, and that's it. So where is Christ in this parable? Uh, the traditional interpretation is Christ is the Samaritan. Um, and so you you know in your in your homily just kind of went line by line explaining the the characters in this and it's and it's really transformative when you start going down the list so you have uh let's begin with the man going from jericho to jerusalem who's the man it's not uh it's not a stranger it's us it's adam it's adam it's all of humanity um and i think uh i think it's Either Aquinas or Augustine, who helpfully says, you know, he's departing from Jerusalem, the heavenly city, to Jericho, the worldly city. It is this fall from grace. And listen,
1: I mean, and, and you. And you've been here. And, and, and
0: you will as well. And, and that,
1: I mean, for those who have not, and I know that's most people, the Jericho is significantly uh, below Jerusalem in yeah, terms hill. of elevation. And it's north east. Uh, It's certainly east. I'm not sure if it's north or east, but it is. And we say mass, we'll say this next summer, uh, you will, I'll, I'll let you do it. You'll say mass at um, this place called Wadi Kelt. Yeah. Um, and Which is it a is,
0: ravine or it something? It's a
1: huge ravine, looks like the Grand Canyon, basically, in, in the Holy Land. And it's between Jerusalem and Jericho. Mm-hmm. In fact, we, 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 we stopped there on our way to Jericho. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I mean, it's a desolate, extraordinary place. And you understand a bit about the treacherous nature of of what the wilderness is. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I think of wilderness, I think of trees and and all that sort of stuff. But but this is nothing. It's mm-hmm. desert. Um, and so yeah, you get the idea. You're going from up high, and Jerusalem elevation wise, is is up there. Yeah. I mean that, I mean so the the contrast in the Holy Land from from Jerusalem, um, I forget how many thousands of feet above yeah. sea level it is to the Dead Sea, like a thousand a feet drop. below that. Yeah. I mean sea level
0: is. Is stark, right? So, the, the 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 you know path from Jerusalem to Jericho is a spiritual path, um, It reminds us of literally the fall, um, because it's downhill, but also the spiritual fall of Adam and Eve. Um, and also, just to say, Jericho is made like the oldest city on the planet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we see it in the Old Testament when they march around Jericho it and is, the walls fall down. We see it in the New Testament. Yeah, it we is. We see it today.
1: It is archaeologically. Ancient, yeah. uh, you know, among among the oldest, and so again to associate Adam, right, with the old, I mm-hmm. mean, it's all, it's really really rich. Yeah,
0: it is. It is the world. Yeah. I mean, it is of the world. So, uh, Basil actually gives a, a wonderful little, um, you know, metaphoric understanding of of this man who is beaten um, and then stripped, and he says that uh, uh, wounds precede nakedness, just as at the first fall. Where Adam and Eve you know wound themselves through sin, and then they discover that they are naked, they've basically lost the the dignity and the clothing that they had, which was first of grace, and then they try to sew fig leaves as a makeshift you know um, replacement for that. but you know sin precedes this absence of grace. I mean that is a symbolism literally of of the fall, so we have ourselves with the man. And then we have the the priest and the levi passing by and this is where both interpretations probably share an understanding that is the law mm-hmm. i mean that's the symbols of the law and of the old testament priesthood of the old testament sacrificial system <laughs> what i think is helpful is not trying to necessarily defend them but to uh, maybe not be as hard on them as as we might be if we make a, a moralistic tale the priest and the levite are either coming from Jerusalem or going to Jerusalem, somehow bound up in the they're, sacrificial they're following system. following the rules. And they're not supposed to touch a dead body. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a, a man beaten on the side of the road, if he's yeah. about to go offer a sacrifice or if he just came from offering a sacrifice, I mean, that's Leviticus. Don't touch the dead body. It's not necessarily, I mean, we don't want to judge, we can't judge motives in this parable, but perhaps maybe not they didn't care, but they had nothing to offer. They have the Old Testament sacrifices and the law, and that brings, you know, Augustine says, knowledge of sin, but it doesn't heal our sin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's almost this, uh, they, their hands are tied. Um, that's kind of the point of the story is that the Old Testament sacrifice and law can't actually bind our wounds. It can point and say there's a, there's a half-dead body. It can make us aware of it, but it can't actually bind us and heal us. Um, then you have the Samaritan, the, the saver of souls, the, the Christ figure come. Why is he a Samaritan? Um, most of the church fathers, I think, say because he was made like an outsider of the Jewish leaders of the day. I mean, they crucify him as a common criminal. Um, he is a Jew. They treat him as if he is not. They treat him as if his, you know, sacrificing and understanding of the law is like the Samaritans, um, non-Jews, you know, the, the castaways. And so Jesus shows up kind of inhabiting that role. But he is the one who, who binds up the man. And in your sermon, you made a great point that what does he put on him? Oil and wine, once he brings him to the inn. This symbolism of, you know, the, the sacraments yeah. um, of anointing and of the Eucharist. And he brings him to the inn, which uh, this is the part that I was missing that you, you know, I never heard this part before. But you say it's an image of the church. And that's where he kind of leaves him for safekeeping while he goes on his way. And you can, you can keep going through the story. You know, the innkeeper comes back the next, the next day. Um, you know, that's kind of seen as his appearance after the resurrection. Then he leaves his ascension and he promises to one day return and pay back the final debts. That's his second coming. Until that happens, he leaves him in, in guidance of the church, of the inn. Where he will continue to be mended and healed and restored while the the samaritan while christ is away for a time until his second coming so all of that being said i think it really opens up the parable for some deeper spiritual meanings um that was transformative for me i don't remember even when i first heard that interpretation of the parable but again it's always helpful to remember what you just said. We should never be the saviors of the parable. Yeah. Um, it's always us being saved by by Jesus Christ. And I even wonder—I don't—I haven't read this in the Church Fathers.
1: This is just sort of me wondering out loud. Um, the fact that he identifies with a Samaritan. Um, you know, the, the difference, I mean, the real rub I was about. trying to
0: find, find this about, about the sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, the
1: real yeah. rub is that, is that Samaritans would, would, would offer sacrifice on Mount Gerizim right. and not, not Jerusalem. Yeah. And that was, and you see this in the, in, the, in the, I mean, at evening prayer today, I think, is the woman at the well, the Samaritan I think woman. So. Yeah, it's today Saint Fotini we remember her by when she was in and um, when she is was it? at Jacob's well yeah and and which is now in Nablus uh, well not now it's Nablus is now uh, mm-hmm. the city over Jacob's well and I'm you know Jesus what, what's Jesus say to the woman you know because she 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 hints at the fact that you say we have to worship right. here and he says the time is coming where you will worship in spirit, spirit and, and in truth mm-hmm. and so I wonder if If by identifying with the Samaritan, not that he's anti-temple, because he's clearly not. Yeah, he's clearly not. But he's simply saying is that the place of true worship is not going to be only mm-hmm. here, only at the temple, it will be wherever I am, and you yeah. worship in spirit and truth. And so, not not to identify with Mount Gerizim as being the only mm-hmm. place, but simply is to make the point is that um, there will be another place
0: yeah. to to the come in contact with the divine. System yeah, can come from the temple, can come from Mount Gerizim, can come from the place where you least expect it, which for the Jews at the time was the Samaritans. Yeah, um, Very interesting. I mean, the church fathers get really, really into the symbolism here and the two denarii, the, 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 the neri, denari, Dineri, denarii, denarii, um, plural. Two pence is yeah. what King James says. There, there it's we easier. go. That's easier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what those symbolize, you know, the New Testament and the tradition of the church, I mean, you can really dive in a little bit, but once you posit Christ as the Samaritan, it does kind of open it up a little bit. Yeah.
1: So, how do the church fathers read Scripture? They're always looking for Jesus Christ in yeah. every every line, right? Which is something we would be which well makes to, sense absolutely with the
0: identification of Jesus as Completely. the Word of God. And another
1: set of parables, where um, also from Luke, where we need to, that we tend to read the long read it the wrong way, I think, or at least not in. Um, concert with the church fathers in the church is like the parables that um, I think um, precede it of like the lost things, mm-hmm. you know, the, like the lost coin, or the yeah. pearl of great price. We we tend to think that that, that or the treasure hidden in the mm-hmm. field that we that Jesus is hidden in the field and we have to go find yeah. him, or that we find that pearl mm-hmm. or that lost coin. Well, that makes us again the hero because mm-hmm. we found it. Yeah. Whereas they would read it as. Jesus Christ is the one desperately searching right, for, us. for us. And then we, we go sell everything that he has to buy the field Correct. to have the treasure because mm-hmm. we are of that great value that he loves right. us so much. That's probably the opposite way in that most people read yeah. it because we want, what we want to find is, all right, tell me, give me my handbook. Give me, give me my marching orders. What should I do? How do I, how do I live a yeah. better life? Whatever. Right. Whereas the reduce it to a moralistic, you know, command. Yeah, it's so much more difficult to allow ourselves to be bandaged and loved Mm -hmm. than it is to bandage and love someone else. Yeah, exactly. Tell me what to do. I'll take care of you. But to be vulnerable and
0: to to submit to that grace is very difficult. Yeah, the thing I I preached on this morning briefly was um, when I was sitting at Mass yesterday hearing you give this interpretation, I realized that the most challenging thing for me is not to view an outsider as my neighbor and, and take care of them. I mean, it's hard to do, but conceptually I understand that. That's that's kind of easy to assent to. Everyone we should view them equally. The actual challenging part for me is to actually see sin as wounding me, as myself as a beaten beggar on the side of the road in need of of saving. And I was I was I preached about how that's a that's a struggle for most of us. We try to hide our wounds. We try to act as if sin isn't marring our body, as if we aren't a beaten, bloody stranger on the side of the road, as if we're, you know, going along the path under our own will, kind of keeping things together. Um, but viewing actually the broken body of Christ is helpful because his body is broken because he takes the wounds from us. The only reason he has uh, shed his blood is because, you know, it's our sin that does that. And so it's kind of a visual representation of sin does affect us. Because it affected Jesus Christ when he took it on himself. Well
1: and it's harder, I think, for us because of because to be fair, we do know better. Exactly. yeah. You know, you and I know better. Yeah, we, we know that's true. <laughs> we know the rules, yep. we know how we, 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 we talk about it, we preach about it daily, literally. Yep. And it's hard for us, I think, to 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 let down that that facade that we we are identified with the people in the yep. pew we we are in need of a savior as much yep. if not more. Yeah, because we and, know better. Because we know better. Yeah. Yeah, and then Jesus makes that comment to you, you know the law. Yeah. You know better, and you and I know better, and we still sin mm-hmm. because we're broken. Yeah, I mean, Who's he
0: hardest on? Correct. Pharisees yeah, absolutely, yes.
1: He, I mean, he loved them, but he's, he says, you, you've you got this great gift. You you, you know what mm-hmm. the law says, and it's important for us. I mean, that's why I know I've said it before. I know it's really controversial, but I find great meaning and Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my yeah. roof, because I'm not. And it's a powerful reminder. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to the traditional celebration with the American Missal, we say those words six times, six times. and not three times, because we, we say, say it say once them, for ourselves, yeah. and then we say it with the people, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um,
0: I it, that is not lost on me at any celebration. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, one of the speaking of you know that the minor propers that you mentioned uh, the secret prayers the, the third one uh, long, which is not short. which is not secret, it's not secret. It's the,
1: it. it comes from it comes from the Latin secreto it just means like in a quiet
0: voice you yeah don't, you don't no. shout it you just yeah. say it quietly but with us wearing mics everyone hears that. Yeah, but um, the third one, long story short, on fairies during ordinary time, you just pick. Yep. There's, a, there's a group. So the ones I picked today were for uh, tears of repentance, for the gift of tears of repentance. And it basically is asking God to soften our stony hearts and make us literally weep for our sins. Um, and I, th- I thought it fit with what I was going to preach about. Um, but you know, the idea that we should be lamenting our sins, aware of the wounds, Lord, I am not worthy, We've got to have all that. And and some people think we you know overplay it by, you say it six times, that seems a bit much. But I think it, it's helpful because we are forgetful people. Mm-hmm. I mean, five minutes after Mass, we forget yeah. what we just did. And that is why daily celebration of the Eucharist is, is worthwhile and important. That's why going to Mass every single week, you don't just go once a month. I mean, you forget it by Sunday evening, much less by the following Sunday and a month from now. I mean, we are, by nature, forgetful people. We've, we, our minds are so pulled in every which way. We are distracted. We are inundated with things vying for our attention. We need that constant reminder of the very basic foundation of our faith, that we are unworthy through sin, that through Jesus Christ we are made worthy um, through his sacrifice on the cross. And we need to be reminded of that. Time and time again. If you
1: need a reminder, pay attention to your thoughts and your conversations um, as soon as the service is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're walking in the parking lot, or before yeah. you even leave church, or if you're a, one of us in the sacristy. I, I
0: was about to say uh, the, it, procession, the out, procession out. The procession Thinking about It, a it doesn't mean
1: that that you uh, that you know. If we do it five more times, we'll get better. It means that in five more times, we're still going to be who we are. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we've grown in virtue, mm-hmm. um, but. We're never going to be not in need Mm -hmm. of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so the continual celebration is not to multiply his one sacrifice once offered. It's to put us in contact Mm -hmm. with that one sacrifice once offered as often as
0: we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Thursday will be our last feria. Uh, I will preach on it tomorrow morning for the last time. And then Friday and Saturday, we have, we have two feasts. And the remaining, you know, 15, 20 minutes we have, let's, let's talk about those two feasts. On Thursday, we have the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary. <clears throat> and then on Friday, we have Charles Lauder, um, founder of the Society of Holy Cross, but most notably the rector, curate? Vicar. Vicar of um, St. <clears throat> Saint, Saint Peter's, Peter's London, London Docks. Yeah. Which was a, a, a slum parish, basically. And we'll, we'll get to him in a second. But the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, why is it so noteworthy? And why, if you pay attention to the calendar, is it one of three birthdays we, we celebrate? Yeah, so Her, there's, there's John, three, Jesus. Yeah, yes,
1: right. Um, we always celebrate one's heavenly birthday yeah. with the saints and not their natural birthday mm-hmm. because it's not how we begin, it's how we finish. Mm-hmm. Do we finish in faith? But the exceptions are John the Baptist on uh, June 24th, and we just celebrated his, his death. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think it was last week. And then the Virgin Mary on September 8th. Mm-hmm. We celebrate her um, conception on December 8th. Right. So it's nine months after December yeah. is September. We celebrate their nativities because they have a role in the birth of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And John being the from forerunner the from the very beginning. Yeah. John being the forerunner, preparing the way. Mm-hmm. John being the one who recognized Jesus Christ in the womb. Yeah. Remember, John is three months older than, mm-hmm. than, um, than Jesus. Um, mother being Elizabeth, and when they met at the visitation a feast may thirty yeah. first
0: leaps in the womb
1: leaps in the womb um, and there's a recognition that that he is the Lord, so that is why he is, and they were also uniquely prepared in a way known only to God right for John to recognize this is Jesus Christ in mm-hmm. the womb that that required preparation for Mary to say yes and to give birth required a unique preparation by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. of Christ's merits working backwards, if you will, yeah. to prepare them to recognize him. Because we can't recognize Jesus Christ without his grace and love. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like Mary Magdalene at the at the empty tomb. Not until he calls her by name right. that she is now able yeah. to, to recognize him. Like so,
0: idea of God
1: making the first move. That's right. And I remember having a conversation with someone who was bothered by the fact that we kept the nativity of John the Baptist and the nativity of the mm-hmm. Virgin Mary? If you take these feasts seriously, they always point to Jesus yeah. Christ because they make no sense apart from Jesus yeah. Christ. Because you have to ask the question: Why are we keeping why? the birthday of the Virgin Mary? Well, she prepared. She said yes, and she was the mm-hmm. the um, the Ark of the New Covenant. Mm-hmm. She was the the New Eve who brought forth. The new Adam, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, John the Baptist, he must decrease so that Jesus right. Christ may increase. He prepared the way. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. All of it mm-hmm. points to Jesus Christ. They, they, these feasts make no sense. They're they're not intelligible on their own,
0: apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we almost have to, you know, visualize Jesus and God working behind the scenes a little bit, because until the whole world is made aware of who who he is and that you know happens much later in his life there's two people mary and john and it's almost as if they're made aware beforehand to set the stage um, and which is why we you know elevate them not because of anything they did but because of what jesus christ gave to them and the role they play in allowing the whole world to now become aware um, I mean, it, it is kind of a, a wonderful thing to meditate on, that before the whole world knows what is going on, Mary and John are almost clued in. They have an idea. Mary says yes and gives her Magnificat, um, you know, of what's going to happen. John is preaching repentance of sins and preparing the way before Jesus even begins his ministry. They're clued in before everyone else. In At least
1: sense. to some degree. I mean, there is. It's, it is confusing to have John leap in the womb of Elizabeth, yeah. but then and then later he asked Jesus are right. you the one right. you know who yeah. is to come and there seems to be uh, some confusion as to mm-hmm. recognition that's that's an, another podcast yeah the perfect on knowledge that. does not perfect exist. knowledge did not come but they were prepared yeah, somehow. absolutely prepared by mm-hmm. the holy spirit and we we see this we see this both <laughs> with um visit from the angel mm-hmm. to to Zechariah yeah in the Two in the births whole. that happens. Correct, John and Jesus. If if you see an angel, get ready, get the crib ready. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. That's what's that's yeah, what's going Abraham, to happen. Abraham, Sarah, yes. And if angel comes. Zachariah.
0: You're about to have another plate at the table. That's good. The the last feast this week is is Charles Louder, um, that is on on Saturday, and um, you know he was famous in the Ritualism movement and the Oxford movement and was placed in a a slum parish which at the time was not uncommon for those, you know, Anglo-Catholic churches um, to be slum churches. and, and what well, they what would I mean, seek it out, too. Right. right? What yeah. I mean by yeah. that is they would intentionally seek out the poorest of the poorest areas and build these beautiful churches with, with, you know, high liturgy and incense and wonderful music. And that was an intentional choice by them. And I think that is something worth discussing for a moment of that marriage of... The poorest of the poor, the destitute you know, with with lack of material possessions, maybe lack of education, being given the most extravagant liturgy possible, and that was not accidental, that was very intentional and I think it's something we need to almost defend nowadays because the same critiques that they heard back then we, we hear similar critiques today oh we do yeah no Charles Lauder is, is a hero of mine, and he he was he was um
1: a curate at a church that had some some significant ritualistic um, controversies and and battles,
0: even internally.
1: Yeah, and then he went to uh, St. Peter's London Docks, which now is kind of a bougie, gentrified mm-hmm. spot as London expands, and and you find cheap real estate and you yeah. make it into expensive real right. estate. Uh, the church is still there, but but this was this these were the docks, the shipping yards. Where working class people, mm-hmm. immigrants, would work. And a lot of these priests would use their own money to build churches or find right. a, a patron to build the church. And they were, um, I mean, they were full of altars and shrines and devotional elements, but they were often homemade. Uh, they were often, um, you know, of the, the quality they could afford, mm-hmm. but it was real sincere folk piety that mm-hmm. reflected the people. And the liturgy was as best as they could provide mm-hmm. with the best vestments and the best music that they could provide. Mm-hmm. They still were re- reflective of the, the parish, the geographic right. boundaries, because these were deprived places. Mm-hmm. These were not wealthy parishes but the vision was and this is what we still hear today is to hear that well people of a certain class won't like this yeah. well that is absolutely just a bigoted statement of yep. saying they Very don't patronizing ha- they don't have the ability or the culture or the intelligence or the or the you know desire, desire to see something beautiful i mean that's just nonsense it was nonsense then because that was the only time in their life they had color mm-hmm. they lived very gray lives in victorian mm-hmm. england especially in the in east london and to be able to come in and having a, a life that was you know laboring day in and day out and going into a home that was dirty and polluted and, and their streets were polluted but to go into a, a church that was full of incense and candles and and Art this in an this icon. yeah and this vision of another world that was promised to them that you this is your inheritance this is your world was as mm-hmm. an extraordinary vision yeah that was given to them. And one that reflects the medieval parish church. I mean, we imagine that all these parish churches in the in the countryside were just whitewashed and plain. That happened later. They were full of color mm-hmm. because, again, it was the only colorful image in their mm-hmm. life. Being, was laboring in the fields and living in a, in a, in a small, plain home. To go into the church was, was amazing. Mm-hmm. And to say, this is given for me. And to... To make that message, to give that message, to and this is what I tell people when they would, when they would say, like when we did the reordering here. Yeah. Gosh, that's a lot of money. Uh, why don't you give it to the poor? This is the we poor's. Are. Yeah, this is not. My. I don't take this home. Mm-hmm. Um, this is as much as the person who's homeless as it is mine upstairs. It's their art. It's their image. It's their their vision. And why deprive them of that? Mm-hmm. Why tell them, I don't think you're smart enough or cultured enough to understand what beautiful is. And, and, and let me just give you what I think you want, which is yep. the plain and the ordinary mm-hmm. and the cheap. Yep. And what's that saying about us? And these slum priests had the vision to, say, to recognize is that Jesus Christ is in these individuals. And that we, we uh, adore him in these individuals. Yeah.
0: And what if, are you willing to give Jesus Christ? Yes.
1: And if we, and, and there's a great quote that's often quoted and should be by Frank Weston, the Bishop of Zanzibar in the 1920s. Zanzibar was an African diocese. He said, You cannot claim to worship Jesus Christ in the tabernacle mm-hmm. if you do not serve him in the slums. Mm-hmm. And for us in this parish, we've certainly tried to, to live into mm-hmm. that with daily mass and, and benediction of the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. That is not at all at odds with a homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. It completely is a natural extension of that, of giving a place and, and loving those um, 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 who are in great need. Yeah. So, and, and uh, the reality is, the days of having wealthy patrons to pay for a church and a clergy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are really over. Yeah. So, for for instance, at the diocese of North, I'm not, I'm not throwing dirt on the Diocese of North Carolina. But if they're not going to build a new church in a deprived area, mm-hmm. they're not. You're going to start a church, typically, in a, in a growing
0: neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And we can imagine what constitutes growing neighborhoods. Or if you do build a church in a deprived area, you're not throwing a ton of money at it. You're not. Not, not to make it beautiful. Correct. Um, you're finding a building that is used for something else so that you can use it. And um, you know we've seen that we've seen that happen um, because the reason why, and
1: again, this is why I'm not throwing dirt on the diocese is, is unless you, and the times have changed. I mean, the economics have changed mm-hmm. as well. It's expensive to start a church. Oh, yeah. And that's a yearly expense yep. that's gonna that's not going to end because these churches are never going to pay for themselves. Correct. If the people are poor, yeah. they're not going to We're pay. Not surviving on ties. You, you, yeah, you can't you can't pay for the priest and the priest's insurance and, and the building and all that sort of stuff. Your mm-hmm. Zoom account and all the things that you have to have nowadays. Yeah. So, but back then that was more reasonable because of the economics, but also because of the of the wealth and the and the and the people who are willing to support it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these priests came from aristocratic families and funded right. the churches they, with, their they own, did with their own funds. Yep. And so, um, I mean, I think if we were serious about the poor and expanding the kingdom and beloved community, we would take all the money that we have mm-hmm. and build churches, beautiful mm-hmm. churches, in deprived with areas. With stable priests. With stable priests to tell these people, this is yours as much as it is any wealthy white mm-hmm. church wherever. This is
0: absolutely yours. Yeah. And and mean it. Two things um, to, to close this out. One, I, I love this um, you know example that I've heard over and over, this comparison when we talk about ritualism and in, in the poor. And it's, it kind of goes hand in hand with Rowan Williams' famous Christmas sermon, the poorest deserve the best. Not what is left over, not what's the cheapest, but the best, the best of what we can offer. And um, you, you talk about high liturgy and, and ritualism and incense and, and as, almost as dramatic as you can get. Um, that is like a, a full meal with meat and potatoes and dessert and, and good wine. I mean, that is a full meal. And are you going to give the poor that or are you going to strip it down to bread and water and say, well, they don't eat much to begin with. Let's just give them bread and water. Mm-hmm. That's what they already know. And that is kind of the stripping down of the liturgy. I mean, how patronizing would it be to see a poor person and think they might like a good meal. Ah, they're used to bread and water. Let's just give them that. No, you want to give them the very best um, so that they are, you know, full of the finest things that you can.
1: We have to divorce the marriage of high liturgy, elaborate liturgy um, with economics. Yeah. That this is for people with money. Uh, because this is not an art gallery, mm-hmm. this is this is the the ceremony that
0: initiates
1: us into the mysteries of Jesus
0: Christ, yeah. and that's that's the second point I was going to make. There's an evangelistic component to high liturgy, um, to ritualism. There is a a missional component. Uh, R. F. Littledale, who I think was Keeble's apprentice or or, or um, one of the you know famous people, he was kind of followed them, but he was involved in you know the the Oxford movement, and he wrote a article or a book called The Missionary Aspect of Ritualism. And he talks about how ritualism is, is missional. Um, it is trying to give people who might otherwise have never been able to read the Gospels the fullest depiction of what is happening with Jesus Christ in the liturgy. I mean, there's a missional component to that. And he actually criticizes people who shy away from that. And he says, you aren't willing to be evangelistic you want it too simple so that you don't have to be overtly religious to these people and he and he criticizes those people and says in the liturgy you are actually evangelizing to people when you incorporate all of these things they're all teaching elements and we've talked before about every little thing in in the mass all the little actions have a have a teaching role mm-hmm. they actually teach us something um and are we willing to to take that seriously and are we willing to actually Make ourselves overtly religious um, to almost an extreme form nowadays. When people are so used to relatively speaking, yeah, yeah, yeah just watered down um, liturgy. But you know, are we willing to give the poor a, a, a rich, full meal, and are we willing to allow our liturgy to actually teach the gospel to people? Um, Charles Lauder you know, was was willing to do that and dedicated his life and, and money yeah, to doing so. There is a difference. We've said it. We've said it many times. Let me say it
1: again for the record. There is a difference of saying that the liturgy is only valid if it's done this way. Yeah. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Again, we, we've demonstrated in COVID our commitment that in, in, in the most humble, simple of settings, yeah. with simple of materials, it is the same exact thing as, mm-hmm. as any other kind of liturgy you, you can create. But necessity is one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, choice is something else. Exactly. And out of necessity, we one hundred percent
0: will do it as simple as mm-hmm. we have to, wherever it has yeah. to be. Think but about it, the poor woman. Out of necessity she gave all that she all could, she had. which was not yep. much.
1: COVID we were, you know, in ten different altars and mm-hmm. ten different places around this this camp With hand warmers under the jazz. Absolutely. But if if we have the choice, why do we why would we choose um, if we have the option of doing both, mm-hmm. what statement are we making when we choose the lesser, um, like
0: a lesser quality of? of, yeah. of, of You're withholding of, something from correct. God, um, and, and we want that, to. Not offer that God, God, God very is best. angry
1: about that. It's just, it's just, that. What's that say about our disposition?
0: Yeah. Um, our I mean, yeah. I can't to the go altar. back to the poor woman. Jesus accepts, you know, the poor woman's not because it's, it's worth a lot. But because her offering is all that she could offer and he yeah. turns to the you know the people who are rich and says you're not giving me all that you have you're withholding things from me your soul you know your um, you think that just by throwing a bunch of money and not actually giving me your whole life i'm going to accept it and, i want all of you and i hate
1: to give qualifications to everything i say but and in last week's podcast i said something that didn't have enough qualifications and it, and it sowed some confusion with people I'm not saying that you have to do it the way we do it to be giving your best. Mm-hmm. Context and tradition is important, and, mm-hmm. and, and it needs to be you know understood. But even within those contexts, are you giving your best in that context mm-hmm. or sort of just kind of— dialing it in and saying it doesn't matter because, yeah. because we're lazy or because, or because we don't want to spend the money or whatever mm-hmm. the case is. I had a conversation with a, with a priest friend of mine who is having a, a battle over um, the use of memorial funds to buy just a new set of vestments, which the mm-hmm. donor wants, and the people are saying on the committee that we're not that fancy of a church. The person saying it has three homes, Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and then it's that it's that disconnect between it's good enough for me to have these things, but but and I think and you you got to it. I think when someone says we're not that fancy or elaborate of a church, I think what they're saying is I'm uncomfortable being that religious. Yep. Which is why the collect for this week Increase increasing us, in us true religion. Yeah. True religion is important. Mm-hmm. James defines what true mm-hmm. religion is. does it in
0: the poor and yep, the widow and and...
1: exactly. Uh, but also a religion is a formalization, a, a, a systematizing of a relationship.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a, give, it's giving, a giving structure. us that framework. It it's is. the inn. It is. It's a hospital. You you got to have a structure there where you can take care of people. Yeah. Where you I'm can. I'm pro
1: religion because the Bible's pro religion, yeah. but the church is pro religion.
0: Yeah again do we see our liturgy as something man-made something that we do for ourselves or are we offering it to God if we sincerely believe we're offering it to God we should we should be uncomfortable offering anything less than our best which is again
1: to, to bring it full circle why I think how we do it um, is helpful to reinforce that by using the 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 liturgies we do use because as we as we've experienced If there's one person in the pew, we do the exact same thing. If there were, we don't look around and say, "Well, it's, it's not a, worth it. It's not worth it. We're not going to do it. I'm no. not going to go through all this." Um,
0: you know, take we take five we, minutes to put on all the vestments just for one person. We do yeah. the whole thing. We, we do, the do the whole it. thing. That's good. Well, what a great conversation. Um, again, if you are watching on YouTube, let us know if you like this two-camera setup. Um, we will rearrange it next week if needed. Um, but a, a good reminder of you know, what What the liturgies teach us just throughout the week. I mean, everything from, you know, we are, are wounded by sin and in need of repentance in the parable of the Good Samaritan to the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary to Charles Lauder and, and how we offer God our very best. I mean, that is just one week. And so um, a, a wonderful reminder, try to make it to church throughout the week. Um, you miss a lot if you just come on Sundays. Come on Sundays. And if that's all that you can do if because you work we absolutely understand. But if you are able, try to come throughout the week. Um, you, you'll pick up some, some very interesting, you know, helpful additions to your piety on Sundays. Or well, at
1: the very least, be aware of what's going on. Yeah. And you'll you learn, read about Charles Lauder of the mm-hmm. Virgin Mary and, and unite yeah. yourself to the prayer that's going on on your behalf if you reasonably cannot make it.
0: Right. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with us all evermore. Amen.